Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. If this is the first ever episode you've listened to, then a huge welcome and thank you for being here. And if you are a regular listener, then thank you. I know how many podcasts there are out there and every week it seems to be another amazing one launching so I do not take it for granted that you choose to listen to the Motherkind podcast and I am deeply grateful so thank you. This week is with Lucinda Miller. Lucinda is a naturopath, a herbalist and functional medicine practitioner. And the first thing I do is ask her to tell us what each of those are, because I know they're not mainstream, these things, but they are really important. Lucinda really knows her stuff. She has been practicing for over 20 years and she specializes in children, particularly children with learning, behavioral or mental health challenges she's also great with fussy eaters and getting to the root cause of what might be going on there and also those children who might have problems with digestion with immunity and skin conditions lucinda's message is pretty clear and her message is if you're worried about your child in any way don't forget the impact that nutrition can have. I think it's really easily overlooked, particularly in the more traditional medicine routes. GPs rarely ask about nutrition and what might be going on with gut health or digestive health. And that's Lucinda's mission, is to remind us that what we feed our children can have a huge impact on almost every element of their lives and our lives, of course. So Lucinda's just written a new book called The Good Stuff, which I popped on my stories, a few of my favourite recipes, because it's such a great book. And Lucinda is also really clear this isn't about putting more pressure on us mums. I know sometimes it can feel like this is another thing to do on our to-do list and we've got to start making all these meals from scratch. Lucinda says that if you can just switch one meal a week into a really healthy made from scratch meal that can have a huge difference so this isn't about staying up till one in the morning cooking meals from scratch that's not great either it's about finding that balance but she wants us all to remember the impact that nutrition can have so we talk about her story and actually a really moving story of what happened with her son and how that inspired her to really lean into this area of specialism that she has I saw these parents helping their children talk, walk, communicate, sleep. I mean, do all the things. And I thought, my God, if they can do that, I can do that for my son. We talk about her mission. We talk about what we can do, the book, how it came about. It's thinking, what can I do? Can I get the kids on a Sunday to bake some muffins and they can go in the freezer and then they've got their after-school snack sorted for the week? So it's just a really great chat and I left feeling really inspired and as you'll know if you listen to the podcast regularly I'm a huge fan of this approach. With my chat with Dr Oscar we talked about this a lot as well. Dr Oscar Saralach when we were talking about postnatal depletion. So I hope you enjoy the episode and if you did as always please rate, review and share it with your friends and pop over to Instagram motherkind underscore Zoe and let me know what you thought of the episode. Here it is. 
So Lucinda, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. It's wonderful to be here, Zoe. I've loved listening to so many of your other podcasts and so it's just for pinching myself really oh, to be here today. You. Well, I feel like that because what's happening for me at the moment is incredible. I'm reaching out to amazing women like you and you said you already listened and I had the same with Amelia Freer who said she already listened and it's it's still amazing to me. I still get such a buzz, so thank you. <laughs> oh, well, it's just great to be here in your lovely home. Well, you have just written an amazing book, which you've kindly just gifted me, so I'll be doing lots of recipe picks on Instagram Oh, called The Good Stuff. Yes, I mean, it's been such an exciting month. It's been a total roller coaster. And being an author for a month has just been crazy. Every day I've had some gorgeous messages from mums across the world saying that their children are enjoying the food, fussy eaters are finally actually eating something. I had a great friend who's got three boys and she said in despair, literally there wasn't one meal they'd all eat. And I got a lovely, lovely photo from her two nights ago saying, hooray, we've done it. They've all eaten your waffles. And it was just so exciting to see that. Why did you write the book? What was your driving force? So I guess weaving into that bit about your background and how you came to write this beautiful book. Well, in terms of the book, I've been running a clinic specialising in kids' health for about 20 years. So to begin with, it was purely I was going to write a book for my clients for their parents to be able to help with recipes because I used to give people just lists of foods to include in their children's diets and then they started asking for recipes and it sort of became a thing where I was suddenly putting them together and then my friends would get in touch saying I'm really stuck I don't know what to give my kids for breakfast etc what do you give them for snacks after school I hate giving them biscuits etc so it all sort of started coming together so I realized that it wasn't just my clients it was also lots of other mums. So about two years ago, I started getting my thoughts down on paper and one of my greatest friends, Millie Pilkington, came and did some beautiful photos of my kids, nephews and nieces. And I didn't know if it was going to be self-published. I didn't know whether I was going to find a publisher. I just knew I wanted to do it and I didn't know when it was going to happen. So we started and I got really excited about it. And we saw a couple of agents and they said I'm afraid we don't think there's any market and we thought oh my god okay we are going to have to self-publish even though I love doing food photography it takes up a huge amount of time and we were so busy at the time I just thought I just need to put this on hold so I sort of stopped and then last October I got this email from short books saying we love your blog would you consider writing a book so I said oh my gosh I've actually started writing one anyway so I turned up the next week with this manuscript and also some of the lovely photos and they just loved it and they said this is exactly what we've been looking for so literally the next day came back with an offer and when we trotted and literally like a month ago it got published wow and it's just been so well received I think there's so many lessons in your approach to that because I know so many of us can have an idea me included and push and push and push and it's just really interesting how you got to your end goal of getting this out there but in what seems to me to be such a flow and an ease with it, that you just kept putting it out there, get putting it out there. Did it feel quite sort of calm and lots of synchronicities going on in that process? Well, definitely, because actually two years ago, I spoke to lovely Amelia Freer, who you interviewed the other day. And, you know, I asked her about how she got published and so forth. And she was incredibly helpful. And I remember her saying, you know, once you do publish a book, you're slightly sort of owned by your publisher for a short while. 
And I thought, gosh, I don't think I can do that right now. My children are too young. You know, I don't think I can just leave them and go off and do some festival or some talk here, there, or everywhere. So again, I think timing-wise, it's been perfect. Mm -hmm. So I felt very, very calm. And we've been through a couple of bereavements as well. So we had so much on our plates that actually I don't think I could have done it beforehand. So I have felt very, very, very calm about this. Mm -hmm. And even though there were some moments where (laughs) I did cooking, I didn't have much time set aside to get all the recipes put together. I'd had them in my head. I'd written some of them down, but I hadn't sort of to really do... to test them all multiple times. Yeah, well, I had to test them multiple times, but also because so many kids in my clinic are gluten-free or dairy-free, have nut allergies, etc. I really wanted to ensure that all the recipes were available to everybody. So I tried to do an egg-free version or a dairy-free version. So there were multiple times I had to make these things. Anyway, I had three days where everything went wrong. I mean, literally everything was either burnt or undercooked. The biscuits were displaying everywhere. You know, when they all go together on <laughs> like one tray. And I just didn't know what was going on. And then I actually measured the heat of my IKEA oven to discover that it was 30 degrees lower than it said it was. Wow. So once we fixed that then we were fine. But, you know, we had those sorts of things. And my husband was amazing. He's got a background in sort of due diligence and compliance. So he went through every single reference to just make sure that everything I said was 100% met with the reference and what I wrote sort of married up. So that was really helpful, but also quite stressful because I wanted to get a point over in the book, but I also wanted to make sure that it was backed up by science mm. and getting those mm. two to marry sometimes. You well, let's know, talk about hard. that then, because your background is that you're a naturopath. Yes. You studied in functional medicine mm-hmm. and you're a master herbalist. Mm-hmm. Can you tell people what each of those three are? And then let's talk about what the message is that you're trying to get across in the book. Yes, absolutely. So a naturopath is basically someone who practices natural medicine in that we look at the whole person. So we look at systems. For instance, if someone's getting eczema, why are they getting eczema? Is there a problem with their liver function? Is there a problem with their gut? Is it an immune thing, like an allergy? So we're looking at all sorts of areas rather than just putting cream on their skin. This is such an important point, and I didn't get this until a couple of years ago, that traditional medicine looks at things in total isolation normally, right? So if you go to someone with eczema, which my daughter has, Mm. the dermatologist will just look at the skin. Absolutely. Whereas the difference with what you would do is you would look at, okay, what's she eating? What's going on environmentally? What's going on even emotionally? Is there stress? So it's treating something as a whole. I think it's really important just to be super clear about that because it is so different than a sort of traditional approach, isn't it? It is. And you're looking what stresses are in their lives. Are they eating properly? Are they sleeping properly? What are all those factors? Because they all contribute. What's great is when you dig into the research, if you go into PubMed look at the medical research, it's all there. What we found, it just hasn't really been translated. Why hasn't our Western medicine caught up with that idea that I know functional medicine is becoming, especially in America, a huge sort of pendulum swing, isn't there? Mm. But not here so much. Why do you think that is? I think it's all coming literally in the last two or three years. I've always seen myself as integrated. I think I'm quite balanced with my perspective. Yeah, that's important, isn't it? It's not anti- Western medicine at all. It's, no, it's, I've always sort of practiced 
that approach that you take the best of everything. You try and do the best in life. A yeah. bit of a belt and braces approach. You know, if you need to take antibiotics, you also take the probiotics. Yeah. So you just do both together and you look at why has the immune system gone down? Oh gosh, actually, I haven't been eating very well. I haven't been sleeping very well. So we look at all of that rather than just bunging in the antibiotics and just carrying on mm. as you are. Mm. You think this functional thinking is going to become more mainstream? I really do. So we've got wonderful people like Dr. Chatterjee, yep. who has been spreading the word about lifestyle medicine. Lots of other doctors are now doing that. One of my team, so I've built quite a team of nutritional therapists, and one of them was doing the functional medicine training last week. And the majority of the people there were doctors. Wow. Yeah. It's a big training, isn't it? It goes on over a long period of time. Yeah. It's not that many days, but there's quite a lot of yeah. home study and so forth. Also, I've had doctors approach me not just to look after their children, even paediatricians. I'm looking wow. after paediatricians' children, but also to work with them. So mm. I now work mm. with a psychiatrist, neurologists, paediatricians. Mm. And that's just been brilliant because that's the way forward for me. And I think it is happening. And there's also a group of medical students started, I think, at Bristol University. They call themselves NutriTank. And they've realized that they're not getting the training in nutrition. So they're sort of almost building that wow. training from within. And they've rolled it out to something like, I may get this wrong, 12, 15 different medical schools. That's really exciting. Because my friends that are doctors, I sort of, I guess... I'm not extreme, but I sort of totally believe in the power of nutrition and mm. functional medicine and I have such a passion for it. And I'll say, how can you do seven years and not think that what we put in our body is affecting how it functions? It's like not looking at the petrol that we put in the car. I but agree. they just don't, do they? I think one friend said, oh, yeah, we did spend an afternoon on it in seven years. So I do hope that the sea change is coming. I think it has to, because the things that are clogging up the NHS are unfortunately the obesity, the yeah. diabetes, yeah. the cancers, and all of those, when you look into the medical research, are huge implications from your lifestyle. And I think, yeah. I love the NHS. I think it's one of the best things that's ever happened oh, to us. Me too. However, it. I think it's made a lot of us quite complacent because we assume that we're going to be fixed. Mm-hmm just by medicine. Whereas other countries, because my client base is incredibly international and it's fascinating. We get a lot of Polish families, for instance, and they've still got a very traditional mindset, as do the Indians and the Pakistanis. They, traditional as in taking more responsibility for their own health and well-being, or traditional as in more Eastern functional? I think a bit of both, really. I think they look back and they see their grandparents still using maybe Ayurvedic mm -hmm. medicine and massage and yoga. Mm -hmm. It's very much part of their culture. And, you know, with the poles, you've got the sauerkrauts and the kefirs and things mm -hmm. like that. So the fermented foods for the gut. Exactly. So I think that they still hold on to lots of the traditional ways. Also, they have to pay for all their medicines. So they innately sort of look after themselves I guess a bit more because mm. they can't afford mm. to go and get that medicine necessarily. So what sort of things do you see most often in clinic? It'd be really interesting to hear you know across the 20 years what trends you've mm. seen. It'd be fascinating actually. As I said I generally specialised in kids. We do yeah. see lots of women for hormonal problems as well. Right. I've worked massively with kids with disabilities, neurodevelopmental problems, lots with learning difficulties, behavioural problems, mental health problems. And mm. that's 
to me, my really exciting area. I don't know whether they really are on the rise. For instance, autism was at one in 10,000. In Northern Ireland now, it's one in 34, which is higher than in the UK. So we don't know why that's happening, but we have been incredibly busy. And that's why I've had to build a team because I haven't with, been able to do it myself. In particular. Not just autism, but dyslexia, dyspraxia. ADHD. ADHDs, but OCD and anxiety. I, as I said, we work very closely with pediatricians, neurologists, and part of that picture is a condition called PANDAS or PANS, where perfectly happily healthy and well kids, they catch an infection. It could be chickenpox, it could be strep throat, and literally almost overnight or within a few weeks, they become anxious, they wow. become OCD, they spend their life in the loo, their schoolwork goes downhill, etc. And there really has been no medical help in the UK until about 12 months ago. And now there are lots of fantastic doctors doing this, which is really exciting. But what we've had to do in our team is to support those kids over a long period of time. Mm. And it's really where the immune system's just gone on overdrive and slightly got confused. And it's affecting the brain. So ADHD, lots of people will be thinking, well, that's something that's all in the mind. It just needs to be medicated. Can you explain your approach and how it actually works and can help someone who's presenting with ADHD, for example? Yes, well, actually, I'm going to bring in my story with my son because that's probably the best way of explaining it and how I got into the functional medicine because you asked me about Mm. what functional medicine is. So... Our lovely boy, he's 17 and he's a fantastic lad and he's doing really well in life now. But when he was little, he had lots of gut problems. Nappies were chaotic. I'll never forget once him literally filling his bouncy chair. How old? Three, four months. I mean, it was extraordinary. I picked him up and of course it went drip, drip, drip. (laughs) It was awful. But, you know, sort of gut problems, right? The paediatricians really didn't think there was a problem because he was growing. That yeah, was their that's, sort of That's marker. their big measure, isn't it? But anyway, so you soldier on. And he seemed to be great, you know, in so many ways. He was developing really, really well. And then he started falling over. He was falling over all the time. Literally, we'd be walking down the street and he'd go, fall down, fall down, fall down, every sort of three or four steps. How old was he then? 18 months, two. But he could run beautifully. It so was really odd. for a while and it... Yeah. yeah. And then at school, he just was finding it really difficult to write and... He was about six and they said, I'm afraid he's never going to be able to write. We think he will need to be on a laptop and he probably needs a special school. Now, he'd been at a really academic school in London for a year and was doing incredibly well. So this was like new school. What is this? Something really, really strange is going on. And he developed some tics. He was finding it really difficult to make friends. And he was very much in his own little world a lot of the time. Mm. And we were very, very worried. And school went through that sort of questionnaire which lots of people do about sort of ADD and things. And he ticked every single box on a very high level. For ADD. For ADD. But they said, we won't be able to diagnose till he's seven, so you have to wait a year. And I thought, I can't wait a year, just assuming that what's going to happen to him. So as I said, we were very worried. I was looking after a couple of kids with autism. So you were already trained at this point. I was, but... I was seeing some kids, but I still, you know, it's your own child. You oh, get, it's a different ball game. Totally yeah. different ball game. So, you know, I'd given him some probiotics. I had given him some fish oil. I'd tried lots of things and nothing really was helping. We'd seen paediatric gastroenterologists. You know, we'd seen all sorts of people, occupational therapists. You know, we'd done quite a lot of stuff. 
And um, I was looking after these kids with autism and there was a big conference with some American doctors coming over. And I thought, I'm going to go to that. And I really am there for those kids. But if I can learn anything for Barney, that would be great. Anyway, I saw these parents helping their children talk, walk, communicate, sleep. I mean, do all the things. And I thought, my God, if they can do that, I can do that for my son. Yeah. So I just burst into tears. I couldn't stop crying. I said, this is what I've got to do. And on Monday morning, I got in touch with this lab and I ordered up all these tests to find out what was going on because I realised that I'd sat there trying to work out what was going on, but with no evidence. You know, I just could observe my son, but I didn't know what was really going on inside. And so we did a urine test, a blood test, a poo test, etc. And most of him was absolutely fine. He was actually really quite healthy. But the word, there was an amoeba in the gut and there were... What's that? It's like a little parasite. Right. Which wasn't helping him. And he had various sort of deficiencies and so forth. So I thought, great, I'm really focused now. I know exactly what to do to help him. And I don't know where this is going to take him. Within a few weeks... He was really coming together. You know, you could just sort of see things were changing. He was making friends. And one sweet thing is he always found it really hard to hug. He said, ow, every time I tried to hug him. And suddenly he sort of came up to me and gave me this huge mug. He said, it feels nice now, mummy. I can hug. Gosh, this is lovely change. Not expecting it at all. what had you done? Well, we'd been giving him very, very specialist probiotics. And we'd helped clear this pesky parasite. And he said, my brain's not playing hide and seek anymore. I can concentrate. Oh, I'm going to cry. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, it's like I had four or five people to find before I could have a brain like the other boys. And I found one of them and I can see another one around the corner. And every few weeks he'd say, I can see another one. Found him. And it was almost like he could sort of, yeah, it was the most extraordinary, wonderful six-year-old thing that a boy can do. And it was almost like a computer game, you know, he could sort of see that next person around the corner and he was going to get him. And as I said, you know, he's doing A-levels, he's applying to university, he's had a... And he learned to write? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not the... He's not the best handwriting in the world. But, you know, he's really, really together young man. Do you think that was mainly down to the gut and the serotonin and what it was doing chemically in his brain? Or what Absolutely. You- I think yeah. so. I mean, gosh, people could say, well, maybe that was his destiny. Maybe he was a slow developer. But he was very fast developer to begin with. And then it all sort of plateaued. I just remember, you know, you must have had this with Jesse. Every day you see something new. It's just so exciting. You see, my God, how is it that every single day they can do something new? Yeah. And then it was like, well, actually, I haven't seen him do anything new for months. In fact, I think his speech is a bit behind. I think his social, everything seemed to be going backwards, just not massively. But what's fascinating in my clinic is that people are seeing their kids really regress very fast after an infection. So instead of having normal chicken pox, their chicken pox goes bananas and then they regress in their skills, you know, or their social skills or their And that you think anxiety, that's the immune system. It's the immune system. So really from that, I thought, wow, testing is the way forward because it... Mm. Clar- it's that told you it was the gut was, might be the key. Absolutely. It gave yeah. me clarity because I think so often you can read these books and by the end you're thinking... Oh, I don't know where to start. Well, the worst, which is a lot of mums that I work with and know, will turn to Google. Yes. And that Dr. just... Dr. Google. Dr. Google. And, you know, you are a professional doing this stuff and you still 
you know, had to go and figure out your journey. And so imagine yeah. someone who's just trying to do the best. So what would you say if someone is nodding perhaps to what you're saying, mm. and saying, I'm really concerned about my child or someone's child that they know, you would say contact someone like your clinic or a naturopath or someone who's going to do those more integrative tests and get the data, get the information Absolutely. Well, I think it's important, first of all, and not many doctors are clued up to this yet, but to almost go to your doctor and just get some basics done. Okay. So bloods? Get some blood tests done. Just check they haven't got a urine infection. Check that they haven't got anemia. Check Mm -hmm. they haven't got celiac disease. Mm -hmm. Just ask for a basic blood test. And if you get a no, then we can do that for you. So it's not a problem. We can do it privately. But it's just quite good just to rule out the basics. Because so many kids now are anemic or on that borderline. And that links to things like autism ADHD, does it? Well, iron transports oxygen to the brain. Yeah. So if you don't have enough iron in your system, then there is more likelihood that you're going to have some sort of brain fog. Or anxiety. Yeah. But also when you're mildly anemic, you can feel rather sick. Yeah. Your tummy can hurt. And that can also mean that they don't eat so well. So very often, right. it's one of those chicken and egg things. So then they're where, getting more anemic. Exactly. So the fussy eaters then don't eat properly. They become more anemic or they become lower in their iron stores anyway, even if they're not marked anemia. And then, of course, they feel ill and they become fussier. So it gets worse and worse. So, yes, it's sort of catching that. But just for them to sort of think, I would say to the parents, when did something change? When did your child change? Because so often they said they were just such a gorgeous, perfect little baby. And then they had this awful time where they got gastroenteritis and they just haven't been right since. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's probably gut. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it was, yeah, they had some horrendous chicken pox, you're thinking, well, maybe it's viral. Maybe they've got something going on Mm immune-wise. Or they've always been a really fussy eater. In fact, they had terrible reflux and we've just always struggled. And you're thinking probably it's nutrition. So we're looking at all of that. And then we work out what tests need doing. So we always look at all the blood tests that have been done already or any letters from specialists or whatever, just to get an idea of really what's going on and what's been ruled out. And then we fill in the gaps, really. Mm -hmm. We're just looking for what might be going on. So often it's really, really logical stuff, like their vitamin D levels are very low. You know, mums always had vitamin D deficiency, find it really difficult to bring up they've very sensitive skin so worn lots of sun cream um they don't eat eggs they don't eat fish for some reason mm. and you know that's why and what can vitamin d deficiency look like or in the body well the big thing is poor immune system so they've right. always got colds, colds. Okay. sniffles it can affect the mood you can have a child i mean gosh i have children that come in they say we don't know when we last laughed Oh my gosh, it's heartbreaking. And a child's meant to laugh a hundred times a day, is it? Yeah. You know, I just sit there, my gosh, this is horrendous and their serotonin's on the floor. So yes, the mood is very, very important, but it's also important for bones. So a lot of children, even in the south of England, where it is a bit sunnier, Mm -hmm. are having rickets now, bendy legs. Yeah, I know. That's come back, hasn't it? It That sort of went away. And it's possibly one of the reasons why so many kids are having rotten teeth. 
lots of people think it's the fizzy Sugar, drinks. Yeah. And oh, yes, kids are having far too many fizzy drinks and cordials and things. But at the end of the day, some kids aren't. And it could be that they've got a vitamin D Interesting. deficiency. Interesting. So. Mm. so what we're saying is if you're worried about your children in a mental health perspective, don't forget the impact that everything else, environmental food, can have on that and check it out, I think, is the message Absolutely. to take from that. And so what if someone's thinking, well, actually, my child doesn't like Jessie, you know, yep. my little girl, she's not presenting with anything concerning, but I'm really keen that she has an optimum diet yes that's where the book comes in I guess yes that's where the good stuff comes in definitely which is all these recipes and what's your food philosophy for children like I think you're about cooking from scratch as much as we can can you talk us through that and why you believe in that so strongly well going back to all the sort of evidence scientifically is there are so many papers that you can read which has sort of linked eating processed foods. Well, they call them ultra-processed foods because actually what any... Would that be like a nugget or a chip? Well, everyone sort of thinks of that, absolutely. But it's also cereals, breads, margarines, anything which have ingredients in there that you couldn't find in a domestic kitchen. Right. So it's when you look on the packet... So it could be like a frozen yogurt. I was going to ask about yogurt. Jessie's obsessed with yogurt. They are. <laughs> they love it. My husband said to me the other night, Jessie was having a yogurt and a uh, guy said, I think yogurts are going to be the next thing that everyone will wake up to how bad they are. And I was like, oh God, don't say that. She's eating a petit flu. It's <laughs> <laughs> like they're full of sugar. I was like, I know. Well, it was in the press actually last week was or it? before. Was right then. Yeah, no, he was right. So yogurts are fantastic for the microbiome, for the gut. You know, yeah. there's all that good bacteria. The live yogurt is amazing. And there's a lot of yogurt in my recipes, consequently, because mm-hmm. I think that's a very, very easy way to build up. What are you talking about, like a natural set? Absolutely, Greek. a Greek yogurt. Yeah. I think what's that, that brand we have had Farge or something. That's pretty good. Okay, I just think it's the full fat, really creamy, delicious because yeah. it's got to be delicious. She does like this as well. She will have those. But there are so many yogurts that aren't particularly healthy because they've got lots of added extras. So I was yeah. looking at frozen yogurts. Because I was doing a recipe and it was literally Greek yogurt, vanilla and some honey. And then I sort of stuck some berries in. Nice. Yeah. And made these little tiny frozen yogurts, sort of discs for the kids. Oh, nice. And then I sort of looked up on the internet just to find out what Tesco or Cardo or whatever put in their frozen yogurt. And there was something like 23 ingredients. Yeah. And this yeah. is where I'm really coming from is that it's the complexity of the food that we're eating these days doesn't necessarily suit our systems very well and, and we reject it. Can you break that down because I think that's really helpful to people to understand. Mm. So what is wrong with the 23 ingredients versus the five? What could the impact be? So when we're eating food that is natural, so we're talking about ingredients, whether it's a carrot, some blueberries, butter, piece of chicken, eggs, very simple ingredients If those come from a great source, whether it's free range, organic, or just homegrown, or just a local farmer's market, etc., that's going to have a lot of love and nutrition in there. Mm -hmm. And those are the foods that we have eaten forever. I mean, obviously, we all choose a slightly different diet, which suits us. Some people are vegetarian, some people are vegan, some people are flexitarians. You know, we all eat different foods. But at the end of the day, they are foods that we've been eating for centuries. These new foods are preservatives, flavourings and thickeners 
because we've all become very fussy. We want our food to look very samey. We want our tomato ketchup to pour just right. We used to pat it on the bottom, didn't we? And now you just pours out. True. So everything is silky and lovely. And to make that last on the shelf. Yep. So it's commercially viable. Six months, a year, two years, three years. You've got to do something to it. And those ingredients are the things that are made by chemists, not by chefs. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people can cope with that quite well. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, whether you're autoimmune or have a background of chemical sensitivity or allergies or just immune system that's not working very well, then your body's going to reject it. Mm -hmm. It's going to sit there in your system and not know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And there have been some amazing studies, I'm not going to go into too much detail, of where they've literally done a pill cam down people's guts to Mm -hmm. see how fast organic noodles versus pot noodles as such have been digested mm-hmm. and one takes a few hours and one takes a couple of days mm-hmm. and you can guess which one takes a couple of days lethargic exactly low in energy exactly because your body spends all its energy yeah trying to break down these foods that aren't really foods and i think that is the root cause of most of our health issues these days and that's right. quite a sweeping statement yeah but they've found that over 50% of our trolleys are now filled with overprocessed foods. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're thinking, that's a lot more than our parents or grandparents. And so they did have processed foods, but not that many. And it's interesting, and we're good to get your view on this, because it's almost like a modern life challenge as well, isn't it? Because the cost of living has gone up so much. Massively. That more women than ever before are working full-time. So those mums that I work with, I coach a lot of mums, as you know, working full-time, would really struggle to do every meal from scratch. They just would. So I can see how we get to that place where we're thinking, I want to give my kids great food. It would tip a lot of mums over the edge, I think, to have to cook every meal from scratch. What do you say to someone who's in that position, which is really common? A a five-day-a-week in the city mum is common, isn't it? Absolutely. I just think it's trying to just get one extra meal in a week that you can do from scratch. Okay. So it could be breakfast. It's thinking, okay, we're going to do overnight oats. So the night before... Can we do overnight oats? Yeah, (laughs) they're fab. You know, you do them overnight in the morning because the morning is chaos. I've been talking on Instagram about my overnight oats because it's been a lifesaver for us because I don't have to think. I come down and they're done. Exactly, exactly. So, And then you can just sort of heat them up if it's the winter and they yeah. can be cold in summer and you can do different flavours, different berries, banana, yeah. pear, yeah. apple yeah. and cinnamon, whatever you want. So I love that. So I think breakfast can be quite quick. And I often do eggs and I leave them and I'll go up and help my son get ready and then I'll come down and they're sort of ready. So okay. there are sort of ways like boiled eggs and things that you can do. And also... Yes, hard boiled eggs you can do the night before as well. You could you? do. I mean, on it's... some rye if they yeah. do that. I just think also we tend to do quite a lot of cooking on a Sunday and I try and sort of do as much as I can ahead. Yeah. But it's not beating yourself up. It's thinking... What can I do? Can I get the kids on a Sunday to bake some muffins and they can go in the freezer and then they've got their after-school snack sorted for the week? Yeah. I work five, sometimes six days a week and we sort of just muddled through. And so it's obviously my passion, but you don't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be everything, but I'm trying to inspire people with my book to just do one step more. Yeah, just 10% change. Yeah. yeah. Because I think over 50% is just probably too much. And yeah. I think that's what's tipping the balance. It's all about that balance. But I think our parents probably 20% 
was probably processed food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh, we yeah. had awful things like I don't Angel think Delight. The, I don't think the Angel Delight, my mum used to give us Pop-Tarts. Oh, yes. She was like, had a background in nutrition. I think they just didn't know then what we know now, the impact of sugar. Lots of people we, have Pop-Tarts still, I can they tell don't. you. Yep. I thought they'd been like discontinued. I was hearing someone the other day saying, you know, very nice clap of mummy was, you know. <laughs> well, so let's talk about sugar because people always ask me about sugar. What's your view on sugar? So should we be having it? Should we not having it? What about the fruit sugars? You know, it's an ongoing debate and debacle, isn't it? So sugar's been around for centuries. It's a natural food, isn't it? Cane sugar. It is. I mean, it's been refined to bits. You know, the white stuff is not great. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do think that we're probably having far too much. My big thing is drinking the sugar. I think yeah. that's the thing which is a real problem. So it's the fizzy drinks, it's the cordials. And the juices. Even too much juice. I mean, we got lulled into all that sort of juice smoothie thing for a little while because it sort of seemed to be, you know, what, what do you, everybody do you mean, was doing. Do you mean making fruit smoothies? Yeah, and but buying them, you know, innocent. Oh, when it like first the innocent, came along, you yeah. know, we just thought, yeah. wow, this is fantastic. Yeah. And then it suddenly dawns on you how much sugar was in there. Yeah. But I think it was a moment, with, you know, maybe six months or something, which I didn't really make the connection. I thought, this is fantastic. But I think we are having far too much sugar. And I think the trouble is with kids, is the sugar everywhere. At school, they're given sweets for rewards. At birthday parties, there's more Haribos, there's cake. It's really hard to... There's Halloween, there's fireworks coming up. We've got every single opportunity. So what we've always done is I've never bought sweets for the kids. Yeah. But there's always sweets in the house because there's always been given them by someone. Yeah. Also, you know, you walk into a cafe and you don't give your kids a coffee, do you? But they'll probably want something sweet because it's there. And there's just a great big, in Pret or Starbucks, there's just been a lot of the like, um, you know, I go to this sort of local playgroup and in the lunch, there'll be a sandwich, fine, it'll be white bread, okay. And there'll be a packet of crisps and then like a cookie. Yeah. And that'll be the kids' lunch. You know, all her friends are sat there having it. I'm not going to stop her. No. You know, I'm not going to be that mum. But it's really hard. It is really, really hard. And And then maybe it's not banning it. Lots of kids in my clinic have some serious health conditions. Right. And their parents have found that taking them off the sugar has been life transforming. You know, really, really big life changer. So many parents in my clinic have found that taking their kids off sugar has been a game changer. You know, honestly, they've said they've got very, very sick kids and they found that it's just changed them phenomenally. So I do believe that it can work for some kids. But for the general child who's actually doing really well, occasional sugar is not going to do them harm. I think it's worse to have the low sugar alternatives. So the low sugar cordials, the Diet Cokes, things like that, because these are more chemicals. Yeah. And also... So many people on Instagram said, what do I do? My mother-in-law always wants to give my kids biscuits. And I said, well, how often do they see them? You know, if they're looking after them yeah, all every week, day, every yeah. day, well, that's something to have that conversation with. But if they're only seeing them two, three times a year, well, let them indulge them. That's yeah, that's what way. I say. Because I sort of said, I don't want her having much sugar. And actually, I've really relaxed on that. Because mm. I remember my mum phoning me. She was like, I'm desperate to get Jessie a little Easter egg. And I was like, what am I doing? I was like, of course you can. You know, and then it was really sweet. And I think that's so right. It's just always that balance, isn't it? But it's also making sure that they do get it right. Because one friend of mine, I'll never forget, I think she left her eight-month-old baby with her parents-in-law. And I think the mum-in-law gave this poor baby like 
six or seven massive sugary biscuits. And he was really, really sick afterwards. Surprisingly. <laughs> but they used to give rusks, didn't they? Yes, they did. And rusks were like sugary biscuits. Yeah. Like that's what we were given at six months. Mm. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so, you know, it's getting that right balance. Yeah. Okay, so we are nearly coming to the end. So at the end, I ask everyone the same question, which is if you could give one gift to all the mums in the world, what would it be and why? Gosh, that's so hard. I don't know really what to say. I think probably my message to the mummies is that if you're worried about your child, sort out the little problems when they're little, because you really don't want them to become bigger problems when they're older. And I guess that's what I see in my clinic all the time, is that they say, well, gosh, they've always had slightly funny tummy. And now they're 12, and they've been excluded from school. And we think it's linked to this extreme tummy aches. And you're going, oh my gosh, if we'd sorted that out when they were little, they wouldn't be in the situation now. So, you know, go onto my blog, have a read, or read the good stuff. And if anything connects, do get in touch with us by email and we can see what we can do to help. And you've got a great shop on your website as well, haven't you? Yes, so we've got an online nature doc shop and we sell lots of supplements. We sell eczema creams. Yeah, because it um, can be so overwhelming. So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, Lucinda is a real expert. She's the real deal, you know, 20 years in practice. So if you want somewhere to go and help you navigate this world, which can be confusing, avoid Google. Just put in Nature Doc and look at the shop and the book and help Lucinda and her team navigate you through. Yeah, we do our best. And we've worked with thousands of families and gosh, some of the little heroes that we have in our lives are just incredible. And we get messages every day saying little Johnny's said their first few words or got a gold star at school or hasn't had a cold all winter or just, you know, it's just magic. I mean, the number of head boys... And, you know, know, all this sort of stuff. What a gift. Well, thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Great. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on Instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.